book of Colossians. So we're going to do a little uh, double dipping today. Uh, as you're opening there, I want to uh, bring before you a recommendation on the behalf of our elders. Um, we have spent time uh, thinking through, uh, evaluating, and uh, praying over Greg Merrickin. He was nominated as an elder when we went through our elder nomination process in February of 20, of, of not 1920, it feels like 1920, uh, of 2020. Uh, between now and then, a few things have happened, namely a pandemic. And, um, but we had an elder selection team that spent time praying through the process of nominating him to our elders. The elders looked at Greg, we've met with him, and according to our church bylaws, we are to bring before you Greg. I've got a picture of Greg, if I'm not mistaken. That's Greg. It's also Amy, uh, uh, Gray, Avery, and Gavin, their children, and uh, Greg's the one with the beard. Uh, and we, according to our bylaws, have two weeks for you as a church family to ask questions of either our elders, to ask questions of, of Greg. Uh, and I'm going to ask Greg just to kind of be in the lobby after worship today if you want to just meet him if you've not met him. I know we have lots of new faces in here. Interact with him if you've never interacted with him. But two weeks and then we will bring Greg before us as a congregation formally on August the 29th. Uh, with that said, let's dig, dig into what God has to say to us today from the gospel of Matthew, which is where we've been and where we will be. Matthew chapter 5, as we're turning there, beginning in verse 1, it reads, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. This is Jesus. And after Jesus sat down, his disciples began. Uh, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our beatitude for the day is Matthew 5, verse 9. Again, it reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, the, the children of God. Peacemaking, what a unique concept. Again, as we've dealt with these Beatitudes, every week we have to remind ourselves what it means to use the word blessed. And why that word would have meaning for us in our current cultural situation. In the world in which we live, what does it mean that God would, would bless a certain people? That God would offer blessing to me, offer blessing to you? Or that God would even say to us, this is who my people happen to be. 
I'm reminded that it's fantasy football season. I don't know if you participate in fantasy football. Anybody in the room play fantasy football? Okay, I played for years. I retired a few, four years ago. I retired for numerous reasons. One was it was taking up far too much of my time. I remember going to my fantasy draft each and every year where we went through the process of deciding who would pick whom and how we would get that selection. I can remember that we would gather together and for whatever reason we'd work the national anthem into our fantasy football draft. We had a group of people that sat around together and, and commemorated and remembered everything that had ever taken place among us. I can remember that I ate far too many carbohydrates, a recurring theme in my life. I remember sitting together and then you would find out with anticipation who would be the first person to make their selection. And there's this thing that swells up inside of you when you find out that you get to be the one who makes the first pick. You get it. I got it. I can't believe I got it. Over and over that would run through us. That would run through me as I would attempt to run, win this championship for another time. An unprecedented six times, I might add. Something that swells inside of you. I got it. When we look to the idea of blessed in this passage, we see God saying to us about his people, they get it. This isn't an expectation of God on the front side. Jesus is saying, my people, they get it. They really get it. They understand what it means for me to walk with them and for them to walk with me. Deep joy God has given. You get it, this deep joy of God. It's so interesting to think through these Beatitudes and how they build toward this. Again, we've talked every week about how, how these, uh, when we put them together, they're a ladder that we are unable to climb in and of our own power. But that God would offer us a chance to get it, to really get it, for us to see what he's done on our behalf. We look at the poor in spirit. That there are some of us, that we realize that we've experienced spiritual bankruptcy and we can never forget that someone would, would meet us in the midst of that bankruptcy. That there are those of us who would mourn and that we would get the idea that God would do something for us so that our grief could have an answer. That we look at, consider the notion of what it means to be humble or meek. And that this bankruptcy and grief building together over sin, they lead to a humility in the way that we live and in the way that we deal with one another. That blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That you really do get the idea that the void, sin, you, you, the, uh, the void that sin has caused in your life and you long for anything but that void. You want it to be filled and you believe and trust that God in Jesus has met you and he's filled it. Blessed are the merciful. The, the reality of your own sin sends you mercifully towards other people. You get it. The pure in heart that Christ has dealt with your sin and this helps you to pursue him because outside of him you can't pursue him but because of him you get to. And blessed are the peacemakers that in Christ God has allowed these things, all of these things that we've been building toward to be part of our lives. That we will be a peacemaking people. Peacemaking, what a unique concept. It's something that we don't really talk about that much. Now we're satisfied to be peacekeepers. To keep the peace, to be satisfied with the truce. Imagine your children are fighting. Hypothetically, of course. You walk in. 
People are flinging everything they can get their hands on. Cars and rocks. As you walk in the door, a dog smashes into the cat right in front of you. Side note, have you ever thought about not having a cat? And when you're there, you're noticing that your children are at war with one another. So as a parent, you walk up and you grab both of them by the arms. You separate the two of them. You have separated them and you have ended the dispute. Have you made peace? No. Absolutely not. The absence of active conflict, it's just passive conflict. There's a word for it that's a word for it that's used politically. It's a cold war. When Jesus is coming after the idea here of the world that these people happen to live in, he's saying the idea of having a right relationship with me, of knowing me, means that you are satisfied with much more than just a cold war. Uh, One commentary says this about peacemaking. The ministry of peacemaking given to the children of God, it involves resolving conflict. To make prompt apologies and acts of restitution. To refuse to seek revenge. And to humbly serve and love one's enemies. So if you really get what it means to walk with God when you are a person who is in right relationship with Him, these things should be presented and present in your life both passive and active in the life of a believer. That these things have taken place for us. Well, why in the world would we ever think through God making peace for us in that way? Is the idea of me walking with Jesus just about my works? No, it's not just about your works. It is a response, your works responding to the work of Jesus. Colossians 1. Go, with, go there. Paul gives us this Christ hymn. We've been singing this morning. He gives a hymn for the church at Colossae. And he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That everything was created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus. This Jesus who's just spoken these Beatitudes we're chatting about. That Jesus is over, he created all those things. The visible, the invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things created through Jesus and for Jesus. That Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. That Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that Jesus might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have every bit of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile everything to Jesus. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through the blood of the cross of Jesus. The person of Jesus cuts into the strife of our personal worlds. Into the strife of the brokenness of the entire world. And Jesus offers, he offers to be our peace. Cutting into war. Jesus is the one who makes peace 
for us. We see this throughout the scriptures. We see in the book of Isaiah, the promised Messiah in in chapter 9 verse 6, that he's the prince of peace. And for those of us who would say, who would affirm this, that we believe that Jesus has made peace for us, we are aligning ourselves with the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. And we are admitting and we are confessing that because of who God is to us in Jesus, wholeness has been provided for us. Because wherever God is, peace is there. In the broken world, God is, one pastor says, he's creating shalom. He's creating wholeness. He's creating humaneness. He's creating creating these things. Jesus undoes and disrupts, even disturbs false peace that we may be satisfied with. Paul Chapel, Presbyterian pastor, says, Because of the empty tomb, we have peace. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can have peace during even the most troubling of times because we know that He is in control of all that happens in the world. All things... Jesus has made peace. He has interrupted the world. He has cosmically interacted with this world. And he has said that peace, his sovereign plan has been established. Peace is presented and peace is provided for people who would respond to him in faith. Yeah, but what about that part where he talks about a sword? We love swords. I love to talk about swords. Uh, Recently, Charlie figured out how to order things online and he, with permission I might add he found a plastic sword that he wanted to order alder a toy sword great that's what alder needs more weapons why not the sword comes in and yes it is plastic but it is not simply a plastic toy sword it is a practice sword It weighs about two and a half pounds. And when any of them swing it at you, you realize you've been hit. When Jesus talks about the idea of not bringing peace, but bringing a sword, he is speaking into the world that he happened to be living in. The world that he had condescended to. And Jesus speaking to a world where the Pharisees were saying that peace was following the status quo of Rome. And we'll have our place and they'll have their place. And there will just be this unresolved Cold War tension. It's the undoing that Jesus brings. The sword that he offers is an undoing of the aspartame, sterilized peace of the Pharisees. By aspartame, if you don't get it, it means fake. He is undoing that. He's undoing the status quo because Jesus seeks to meet our deepest need. And these beatitudes are saying to those who are in right relationship with God through Jesus, I get it, he's done that for me. He's made that for me. He's that that reality for me. The thing about being in peace with Jesus is that there is now because of his justification and his impartation of righteousness an expectation comes that you would make peace 
That you would be someone who seeks after God's peace in situations, scenarios, and circumstances. Romans 12, 18 says this, according to Paul. Do everything you can <coughs> to live in peace with everyone. Jesus is not saying, blessed are the cowards, those who would avoid. Paul's not saying that either. What Jesus is saying is, the people who are God's people, who have experienced this deep joy of God that runs through these Beatitudes, when they live in their world, this God-honoring peace will be present, and they will seek to make it. Not because they create it from scratch, but because they have seen something, and God has said, replicate that, be like that. I don't know where you are or where you were. For me, late 80s, mid 90s, I would finish my school day. I would go home and I would watch cartoons. Now, the cartoons are going to vary from generation to generation in this room. For me, when I would get home in elementary, middle school, and high school, just watching something until it was time to go to work. Eventually, that became me playing uh, video games or, or whatever. But I can remember sitting down and I would watch the X-Men or I would watch Spider-Man or I would watch Thundercats or I would watch He-Man. Eventually, I'm working at a grocery store, but I'm still going home, don't tell anybody, and I'm watching stuff on TV. I found a snack that I love because my grandmother wasn't there. And it is, in retrospect, it is gross to even consider. Because I would go home, she's not there, and I would get out rich crackers, and I would cover them with cream cheese. Look, I need you to know, this figure is both nature and nurture. And I would watch things on TV. I can remember watching Oprah at times. There was one episode of Oprah in particular that fascinated me. I'm watching as she does DIY before DIY ever existed. She's on the she's on the telly. And she puts a cup of a Wendy's Frosty there. And then she takes a some type of chef or kitchen creator and she does a DIY Frosty right there in front of me. There was nothing in the kitchen for me to make Frosties. She then pulled out a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. She then showed what you need to do to create Kentucky Fried Chicken. I wasn't even going to try to do that. The final thing that she did was she pulled out Hellman's Mayonnaise. Simple ingredients. Egg oil. I go into the kitchen, I found an egg, I found oil, and I found something to whip them together. And right there, my chubby little self made my very first mayonnaise, replicating what I saw at this point in my life as a 40-something-year-old man. I never eat mayonnaise intentionally. It's the grossest thing ever. But I saw something and I made it. What Jesus is pointing out to us here through Paul in the book of Colossians. Yes, we see that peace for God has been made for us through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And I believe that every believing person in this room would come around that and we would say, yes, I got that. God's deep joy has been provided for me there 
That is hope for me and I don't want to overlook that hope. We get it. But peacemaking is us being about lives that reproduce and replicate what we have really, the, the original, what we've seen, what we've known, what we've, what we've experienced. We are to look at the finished work of Jesus. The sacrificial work of Jesus. The compassion-filled work of Jesus. The hope-filled work of Jesus. And as we interact with our world, we are to say, I want you to see that. I don't want you to see my opinion as much as I think my opinion is fantastic. But his opinion. Because when we are people who are seeking to make the peace of God, it should be obvious that we are people who belong to God. We can be peacemakers. And it is obvious that we are people who have known the peace offered to us by Jesus. Or we can be people who love to argue, fight, and fuss so that we make sure that we get the last word. Peacemaking, retribution offering, seeking to intentionally live in a way that brings honor to the crucified king of the world. The idea of us being people who are satisfied with, with arguing, fussing, fighting, complaining to get the last word, that is ironically at war with the message of Jesus. Let's look at our current cultural situation. So log on to your Facebooks. I'm a, that's a joke. Don't do that. That's not good for your, any of our health. But if you log on to social media, certain sites in particular... Instagram, everybody's just trying to give you a fake life. But if you go to Facebook or you go to Twitter, you can see there are some battles that are being fought. I can find someone mad about local stuff. I can find someone mad about national stuff. I can find someone mad about global stuff. I can find someone mad at Thanos about intergalactic stuff. There are all types of fights that are being fought right now. And everybody's mad about everything and everyone thinks that their opinion is right regardless of their expertise in that area. And the weird thing is that many who claim to belong to Jesus we're doing the same stuff. We're saying the same stuff. We're acting the same way. We abruptly take a side because our political party has taken a side. We, we react quickly because this person who writes certain things has said things that we agree with. And though we've not in, in evaluated the thing wholly, we think that's good. What if Christians, not just Christians, but what if Grace Bible, because you're ours. What if the people who belong to Grace Bible... Stand out in Lake Jackson. Not because of how mad we are, but because of how mad we're not. Not because of how, uh, how much we're drawn to tension and anger, but by how peaceable we might happen to be. What if rather than us being people who are 
allowing the culture war to draw us in as pawns. I mean, you may think you're a general, you're a pawn. Me too. What if it stood out as to how reconciling we happen to be? What if we had less rolled eyes and more rolled up sleeves? Because Jesus promises people will know God really is among his peacemakers. And if we are fighting another angle of a turf battle here, we have more than likely stepped away from the eternal one that he's called us to. What does it mean for me to make peace? How do I do that? But what about? That's a good question. We love to ask a lot. What about? What about this? What about that? Surely there's something that would cancel out the actual words of Jesus so I can do what I want to do anyway. Colossians 3 Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, that's you if you're in Jesus, a a blessed person who got it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is perfectly binds everything together in unity. And hear this. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be grateful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly among you. In all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. Peace has been given by Jesus. He has made it. We live... In a world that does not acknowledge that he has offered peace. Real peace. Made peace. So we are to be about the business of choosing daily to make peace. Pointing to the idea that you can know the one who is the real answer. For they will be called the sons of God. I want to be careful when we use the phrase sons of God there. It's really about uh, representation and authority in that passage. So, for every one of us who are in Jesus, male, female, you are in Jesus, you belong to Him. When this passage says that you are a son of God, that means that you have the authority. You speak on behalf of God. That you as someone who belongs to Jesus, the the things that you do in this life, you're saying this is how God would treat this. This is how God would interact. The sons at this point in the scripture, they would have all of the father's stuff. They would represent him fully. They would have his cows. They would have his property. All the stuff was the stuff they had. And they they, they could speak fully on behalf of their dad. 
And for those of us who would claim that we belong to Jesus, what we're saying is, I believe this is how God would see this. This is how God would interact here. This is how God's temperament is towards this. Would we be careful? Ray Ortland's one of my favorite pastors. He's, he, used, he says this. Jesus is using a Hebrew idiom in this passage when he congratulates the peacemakers and says that they are the sons of God. The Old Testament speaks of sons of strength. That, that's a really a word, a phrasing to say strong men. Sons of strength, strong men. So when we use a phrase about believing people and we say that we are the sons of God, we are saying that we are God-like people. To make and spread the peace of Jesus is to express God-like influence. Ortland goes on to say, when we come alive to God, when we get it, our weird desire for winning, that should die. Because Jesus is our wholeness. When it says shall be in the passage, that's, a, that's a, another weird phrasing in, uh, as far as like figure of speech. What it's saying is, for those who are in Jesus, they don't have to call themselves the sons of God. Now we get to, it's an invited opportunity. But the, the life of the believing person should be so distinct in contrast to the rest of the world that it should be obvious that something unique has taken place. Something inexplicably cosmic has taken place. Something has taken place in us that exists outside of us. The life of a follower of Jesus should blatantly make obvious that Jesus reigns and rules and is our peace. We're called to be peacemakers, declaring the hope of God to a world that doesn't want it. Are we running toward that? Are we leaning into that? Do we see this is what God says to us? You, you get to do this. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And we're going to sing in just a moment. You may meet this message this morning and never have trusted in the peace that God offers you in Jesus. And I want to be as clear with you as I possibly can. You're not going to correct yourself enough in and of your own power to fix your sin. You can't Call an end to the war that your sin is making with God. Jesus has offered to do that. To make peace for you through the shedding of his blood on the cross. That's where sin is dealt with. That's where sin is confronted. That's where sin is vanquished. In Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, would you trust him today for the first time? <coughs> Secondly, if you are a believer in Jesus, would you evaluate your life, your personal interactions, your public interactions, and ask yourself simply, 
Am I presenting the hope of the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, who has vanquished sin and death in me? Or am I choosing to present a completely different argument altogether? Father, we trust you this morning. We believe that your word is good and that it's true and that it helps us to see you and know you and believe you. Father, would we be a people this morning who wrestle in our own hearts and minds with what it means that you would make peace for us? We ask this in your name, Jesus.